Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. The problem is that change events can have a disastrous effect on the social identity relationship that exists within an organisation, especially if the employee is not part of that change process. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Online and the GRC Professional Magazine. And today we have once again with us Tony Bevan from Elders Financial. Hi, Tony. Hi, Kwame. How are you? I'm fine. Um, I know you're quite busy, so we'll try to keep this podcast not too long today. Um, I mean, and this conversation comes on the back of two things. Um, one, our, I guess your interest in that podcast that I did with Professor Elizabeth Sheedy talking about culture and conduct and, you know, the conversations that need to change in that space. But also this, as this podcast is being recorded, um, there's some interesting things that have come out this week that you've obviously probably seen, you know, APRA coming under the hammer, hammer for not... I guess, taking action in the way that they ought to have, I guess, reverberations from the Royal Commission. And ultimately, these are conversations about culture. And as you pointed out in our conversation recently, um, ultimately conversations about ethics. So I guess we'll really start with, um, you know, commenting or looking at the podcast I did before. Um, You know, you listened to the podcast that I did with Elizabeth Sheedy. Um, you know, and how to change conversations with the boards, you know, and the kinds of conversations they're having about conduct and culture. But I think one of the things you brought up that was interesting is how do we implement this? So I guess that goes to you now. How how would you implement the changes we talked about? <laughs> oh, Kwame, that is a million dollar question. <laughs> and uh, I suppose I'm going to give you um, a bit of a high level response that's going to go into organizational change management and strategic management theory in order to answer this. I guess in organizational change, what we do know is nearly 70% of organizations fail at implementing an organizational change in the business. And that's despite then going through the planning, formulation and implementation stages of a change process. Um, my ex- my, probably my implementation expertise in this area has deduced that the human capability is needed throughout the change process Um, and that is critical to the success of the change process and this is no different when we actually relate this to boards and senior management that are trying to build conduct and culture frameworks. I guess for me having an in-depth and comprehensive knowledge of culture conduct and the processes that, that drive conduct and culture, such as ethics and ethical decision making, is absolutely crucial for organisations, not just in Australia, but worldwide, worldwide, if they are successfully able to implement a cultural change in their organisation. So that, that, that capability is absolutely critical. And I see a fundamental gap in Australia in that capability of understanding ethics and ethical decision-making frameworks and being able to build them. Right. So we talk about this fundamental gap. So I guess we, that jumps into the next question really is, you know, could you really pinpoint some of the specific challenges that you see organisations are having? You know, why are 70% of them failing? Yes, I, I mentioned human capability in the implementation process and probably it's worth me expanding on this um, with regards, um, obviously, the capability and the gap that is there. Now, to me, cultural change is the end result of getting the right processes in place in the organisation that guides and influences culture and conduct. However, the key elements that drive that cultural change and conduct 
is ethics and ethical decision making. However, if you were to ask Kwame anyone in organizations about their views on ethical theory, and importantly ethical decision making in an organization, the answer you'd get would probably determine the, gap, the capability gap in your organization. So the, the challenges I see in many organizations across Australia and further afield right now is having that human capability in place to build and implement ethics and ethical decision-making frameworks in organizations. I guess if you, if you don't have a deep understanding of ethical theories, such as a utilitarian or a Kantian approach to ethical decision-making, then how are you gonna implement these for an organization? And indeed, the culture and in influence that culture in a positive way. Right. And I'm just kind of wondering, um, how much does, because we, we talked a bit about the, a lot of change that's coming through, and I had a recent conversation with Evelyn Albrecht from Albrecht Consulting, who spoke about this issue of change fatigue. Um, you know, some of it legitimate, some of it just being used, used as an excuse by organizations who just don't want to change. How much of it has to do with the volume of change? Um, probably a hell of a lot, to be honest. Um, we actually look at the volume of change that's going on in the industry. It is significant. Um, and you mentioned, obviously, fatigue. I mean, for me, fatigue means lots of things to lots of people, Kwame. And apologies, I'm, I'm going to take you on another quick organisational <laughs> change journey now into what I perceive is um, the term change fatigue. Now. If you think about this, in your early age, in your, your when you're a youngster, you're seven, eight, nine, and ten, you grow up as an adult, your values, um, your moral beliefs are shaped and influenced by many mentors in your life, such as parents, family, friends, etc. And this creates your own self-identity, giving you a set of values that makes you individual. When you join a company, that uh, self-identity of yours merges with the organization to form what we call a social bonding. So your values and your self-beliefs and your DNA merges with that and the, of that with the organization and you have this like happy marriage that ensues. The problem is that change events can have a disastrous effect on the social identity relationship that exists within an organization, especially if the employee is not part of that change process. I guess this in itself fractures the marriage that exists between the employee and the organization that is absolutely based on trust. Now, if you apply this theory to the constant change that's going on in the industry and this disruption that's happening at this moment in time, then you are to start to understand what Evelyn mentions is change fatigue, especially if the employee is not engaged in the change process then there becomes all forms of resistance and that fatigue that you can get as you are a section specialist, as we call you, but you're not being engaged in the planning, the formulation or the implementation of the change process. So you do, you get fatigued at the amount of change, but you're not being involved or you're not being empowered into that process. Hence, um, I can totally understand where Evelyn's coming from when she says change fatigue. Right, right. So, yeah, no, excellent. And, and that brings up something else that we talked about recently as well. Um, you, you talked about, I think you, you mentioned something about the onboarding process. And I guess it's sort of important to make, you know, there's some conversations about making sure that in the onboarding process that, you know, you know, the types of people that you're employing to make sure they're not just right fit for the culture of the organization, but also a right fit for ultimately that will benefit the consumer. So 
tell me a bit about this bonding and that process of onboarding that organizations probably should be looking at. Yeah, when you actually look at um, onboarding, I mean, there are a number of um, things that I've done personally. Like I say, when, when I set the business up, our business in 2016, we put, um, we put an ethical decision-making framework and cultural charter in place that's based on Kantian and utilitarian ethics. Now, Kantian is um, it's your duty to do the right thing. Uh, and it's a moral maxim that really I've, I've embedded into the organization and embed that and um, you know, intertwine that with utilitarian, which is obviously for the good of all. You've got this moral maxim of doing the right thing for the good of all. And I've inducted that for the whole leadership team. But what we've done in our business is we've also looked at this this piece on the onboarding, the cultural fit in our organization, and making sure that the people that we bring on have the right cultural fit, understand ethics and ethical decision-making as well as culture. Uh, and there's, there's the fundamental gap that we see is, you know, how many organizations are at the, the leadership level, and there's two pieces to this, Kwame, and apologies for going back a step. <laughs> There's the induction and training piece for yep. existing people right from the senior leadership down. And then there's also the induction and training piece for the boards and senior management teams. So firstly, with the boards and senior management, putting uh, a cultural uh, and an ethical theory and implementation framework in place that they understand exactly um, the organization, what we're trying to achieve and, and what we're trying to implement throughout the business to increase the culture. And then separately, asking um, a senior leader or, or somebody that you're looking to bring on board um, at their interview stage, tell me about ethics, tell me about your theory of ethics and how you apply that with your own self-identity on a day-by-day -day basis so that we can scale gap that and actually put then programs in place to actually make sure that they become ethical leaders and make ethical decisions. I think there is the embedment and um, the practical application of processes that will start to increase the, the end result, which is increasing the culture in an organization. And uh, for us, we've, uh, we've increased that culture for our net promoter score, which was 45% or just over three years ago to 90%, which is uh, an incredible result for a financial planning organization in the post-Royal Commission year. So there's a lot of things that you can do, but it really comes back to that capability of understanding ethics and ethical decision-making and being able to build frameworks that you can implement with the right cap human capability for an organization. Right, right. And and that sort of leads me quite naturally to another question, something else we also discussed in the past. Um, so going back to reference to uh, the conversation I had with Elizabeth Sheedy, we were talking about the role of the the psychologist, the organizational psychologist, um, um, Elizabeth Arzadon and her looking at the boards. But something that you mentioned in our conversation was that you worked with um, organizational psychologists and the experts in emotional intelligence to sort of um, I guess, form the right culture within your organization. So tell me a bit about that process. Yeah, I, I, I certainly, like I say, I, I personally believe an organizational psychologist will help guide boards to make choices. Uh, and as such, they should be absolutely part of an overall team, 
that addresses the problem of conduct and culture. Culture. However, I did say earlier an overall team, which I believe includes ethics and implementation expert, mm. along with a leadership and emotional intelligence specialist. I, I believe that this is crucial for organisations looking to create the right ethical and ethical decision-making frameworks that proce and processes that will positively influence the culture of an organisation. And probably to give you an example of this is the work I'm currently conducting with an emotional intelligence and psychology specialist to build that and enhance our existing frameworks, um, to build this overall framework that fully leverages off the team's full capability and build a unique ethical and ethical decision-making framework that fully integrates emotional intelligence and psychology into the induction and training program. I believe with that help from a psychologist and the emotional intelligence person, the leadership stuff that we've already done, I think that would be a unique framework that is, would be available in Australia and even worldwide to actually demonstrate that you can not just build ethics and ethical frameworks and decision-making processes, but also use that wider psychologist and the emotional intelligence experts to um, to really really uh, envelop and uh, and create that unique uh, overall cultural framework that really does improve the culture. It's not just about one specific area or genre, as I would say. Mm. This is about bringing in different experts to actually create a fully comprehensive end-to-end -end, um, framework that can be implemented and successfully implemented, as I said earlier, into an organization which would create a massive difference to culture. Right. So I was going to ask you, uh, you know, what are some of the steps you've taken to ensure that you have the right culture in your organization? But I feel, you know, the conversation we've been having, you've sort of touched on that and answered it in many different ways. So what I am going to ask you is, what advice do you have for risk and compliance professionals who are trying to get this right in their organization? I, I actually learned from a, a, a guru when I did my Masters of Business Leadership, um, a guy called Tom Denigan at Charles Sturt University. Um, you learn the theory, but you also then learn how to practically apply the theory, which was um, an exceptional learning curve for myself. I guess one of the big things that is, Kwame, is reach out to those people that understand ethics. Um, and ethical frameworks and uh, how to actually influence those so that you get that base knowledge and apply that and, and intertwine it with your own self-identity and DNA. Now, there are a number of organizations, including universities like Cholster, where you will go through, um, and I mean an intensive um, and comprehensive understanding of what is ethics, what are the ethical frameworks. You talk about virtue ethics, Kantian, um, utilitarian approaches, etc., so that you really start to embed this into your DNA and your self-identity, and then you're taking yourself on a journey of becoming that ethical and better leader that really enhances culture. But not forgetting, you've still got to go through the little bits of leadership styles and understanding leadership and emotional intelligence especially. Um, but there are a number of mentors, including myself, that are you know, always there to help and support people because we're passionate about making sure that we spread this word across the industry of how we can actually improve the culture in many organisations, not just our, not just our own. All right. Well, 
Thank you so much for your time today, Tony. Many thanks, Kwame. My pleasure. Thank you for listening to the GRC Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the GRC Institute, and the original music was written by Rob Neary.